Welcome to Driving Forces, the weekly news show where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I am joined at this time every week by the stellar Celeste Katz-Marston, and today we've got a great show ahead. Hey, Celeste, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jeff. Always glad to be with you here on WBAI. So as we always start off the shows, we love to say what's on our mind, what news stories we've been following, what's been on your mind today or even this week. Well, actually, Jeff, what I've been looking at just in the past few hours here uh, really just came out was this news out of the FDA that they have uh, approved and uh, they've endorsed use of the uh, booster shot for the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine uh, for certain populations, for elderly people uh, and for younger people whose jobs uh, or health conditions uh, elevate their risk of contracting the virus. So definitely thinking about that. I was one of the people who got the Moderna vaccine. Other people might family have gotten either Moderna or Pfizer. So definitely keeping track of that because we are not out of the woods yet on this pandemic at all. Yeah. And here in the city, I think the mayor was boasting that we even reached another plateau. Well, I won't say a plateau. We've reached a peak right now where I think we were above 80, maybe close to 90 percent of people getting vaccinated. Something I had read in one of the newspapers earlier today uh, that they were putting that out. What's been on my mind is I'm going back a few weeks on this show, folks, when we devoted the entire hour to discussing the situation at Rikers. And what just happened, which is interesting, is this news broke yesterday, I believe, that the governor and the mayor basically coordinated and hundreds more uh, individuals, women and transgender uh, people who are uh, incarcerated at Rikers are being moved out of Rikers to state prisons. And that was the latest step, Celeste, to alleviate a lot of the uh, the overcrowding, but also the problems at the jail complex. But what was interesting is that, as positive as that may seem, at the same time, there's been a lot of criticism of it because it's moving people to state prisons further away from their family members and legal services. Yeah, and absolutely, that can be uh, an additional hardship for families uh, who, you know, maybe don't have a car, uh, taking the time to travel to some faraway place upstate. You know, that can be really difficult when you have child care or elder care issues, when you have work obligations, uh, when that would be, uh, you know, financially stressful. It, it really is a big deal. I think that, you know, the experience of um, having somebody close to you incarcerated or being incarcerated yourself obviously has a a lot of uh, complexities and a lot of challenges there. But I can see how throwing that into the mix sort of maybe solves one problem and contributes to another. And, and clearly, this is going to be an issue that the next mayor is going to have to take on. And, uh, you know, one quick thing, if you hadn't followed the polls this week, this is this has been interesting. I, uh, of course, this is a bad segue. I talk about the mayor, but then I going right to the governor. There was a poll that just came out by Marist yesterday for our listeners that showed that our new governor, Kathy Hochul, has a major uh, lead over the potential opponents like Jumani Williams and Tish James. Uh, we're very fortunate, Celeste and I, that we've been able to have all three of them on the show and hope they'll come back soon. As well as uh, we know if you listen to WBAI, you heard the Curtis Sliwa interview yesterday that uh, Ben Max had done. And we're hoping to have Eric Adams back on this show as well, because we're leading up 
to Election Day in early November, on November 2nd. It's it's coming up quickly, and a lot of us have been focused on the candidates themselves. You know, after the primary, things kind of slowed down a lot in a lot of those council races because it seems a foregone conclusion. But one thing that I often had forgotten to learn about well in advance before I stepped into the voting booth throughout my history, Celeste, was that I did not read up on the ballot proposals, and that's what we thought we should talk about today. Yeah, that's that's really important. And just want to take one minute here before we do get to the ballot proposals to remind you that uh, you know, the deadline to register to vote uh, is uh, has already passed, but the deadline to send in an application for an absentee ballot is uh, this coming Monday. The last day to apply for one in person is November 1st. That is one day before Election Day. You can still do that. Uh, Early voting starts uh, next week, October 23rd. That's Saturday, and it goes through the 31st. Yes, you can vote on Halloween. Um, And a reminder also that your early voting site may be different from your Election Day poll site. Make sure you check that before you go. Where can you find out about all of these things and more? Of course, that's vote.com. NYC. That's the Board of Elections website in New York City. Vote.nyc. And when you step into that ballot box, you may have a horse in the race. There may be someone, a candidate or candidates you support that are motivating you to get involved. But again, when you look at that ballot, you won't just have an opportunity to support them this season because there's also five, yes, five ballot questions on there, too, that could alter our state constitution. And rather than step into that booth and say, am I going to have to understand all this language? We wanted to do a show where we walked you through these ballot questions. So today, we're going to go through them with you. We want you to have all the information that you need to make an informed decision. So with that, we're going to get to our first guest, Rachel Holiday-Smith, a senior reporter for the news outlet, The City. She leads explanatory and service journalism in the newsroom and is part of the city's climate and resilience team. And previously, Rachel covered Manhattan for The City and before that worked for WNYC, DNI Info, and my my previous news organization, New York One, and she's also written for the New York Times, Curbed, and a number of other outlets. And a few weeks ago, she and a colleague, Samantha Maldonado, recently broke down for us the five proposals that we're all going to see on that ballot. So we wanted to have her on today to talk about this. Rachel Holiday-Smith, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. So glad to be talking about the ballot initiative. Now, did I, of course, forget anything in your bio before we get to the questions? Anything else you wanted to point out? Because you've been doing, you know, as much as you cover right now, uh, you've shifted your beat to cover climate resiliency. You've done a lot of election coverage and a lot of good explanatory pieces that have been so impressive. Thank you. And you didn't leave very much out. Um, I've always, you know, covered local news. And yes, in the last year, I've been you know, just trying to put together guides and ex- explanations for voters to know what's going on, because they're especially during the primary, there was so much to know about all the different candidates. And I think that, as you said, sort of in the intro, or it alluded to, you know, I think a lot of people have sort of forgotten that we've got a general election now, <laughs> and we've got to bone up on um, what's going to be on the ballot November 2nd. So um, very happy to break it down. 
So, Rachel, thanks again for joining us here on WBAI. Always great to have you on the program. Um, maybe we should just start out generally for people maybe who are voting for the first time or have not paid attention to ballot proposals because, you know, sometimes they can be easy to miss. They might be on another page or you weren't expecting them, so you uh, weren't really prepared to deal with them. You know, just give us like a, a little thumbnail on what these are and what is the purpose of a ballot proposal? What does it do? Yeah, so at its very most basic, it is a state constitution change. So the voters are giving permission to change the state constitution in some way. Um, these are five proposals, five separate proposals that the legislature approved. Uh, for folks who don't know, um, New York State is not a place where citizens can put forward a ballot proposal like we see in other states. So the legislature voted on these five proposals um, they've got to approve them in two separate uh, sessions or, you know, um, two-year bursts with an election in between. So it was actually two, you know, successive legislatures who said, okay, we're going to approve these and put them on the ballot for voter approval. Um, and the the Board of Elections converts that sort of dense legal language that comes from the legislature to write questions that voters um, will see on the ballot. And we vote yes or no on those. Um, and, you know, we are the last line to sit, give an up or down. So um, these will either be adopted and um, take effect in the new year, or they have to go back to the drawing board and they get tossed out. And maybe they'll come back in future years if the legislature wants to pick them up again. But um, they also may never may never see the light of day again if they get voted down. And I think that before we get into the substance of this, uh, of these ballot proposals that we have uh, facing us this year, I wonder if there will ever be a ballot proposal to make ballot proposals easier to understand. Because if you are standing there in the booth and you are trying to figure out what these means, even if the, even if the Board of Elections has broken down all the sort of legalese into what's supposed to be um, plain English, they can still be pretty hard to uh, uh, to pick apart while you're sort of under the pressure of uh, voting with like a, lo- a lot of people standing in line behind you, right? Yeah, it's totally true. And, you know, especially ballot proposal one, which I know we'll get into, um, is there's, they've condensed a lot of different complicated ideas into a question. And I talked to Ballotpedia, the great folks over there at the nonprofit Ballotpedia, about how easy it is to understand ballot proposals. And, you know, they found that across the board, um, they're quite hard to understand and they gave a grade level uh, rating to New York's this year as grade level 14 which is you know halfway through a bachelor's degree so even though the legal language for these ballot proposals is um, converted into you know readable text for people on the ballot they're still pretty hard to understand um, though I will say there's five of them this year and some are more straightforward than others. Um, I'd say probably ballot proposal one is is the most complicated of them all. But yes, I agree with you. It would be great to (laughs) mandate in some way a very simplified version of this sort of dense, uh, complicated ideas that we have to deal with on the ballot. And what's what's so interesting is despite, you know, how confusing they can be at times, that language can be, there's been a, a rather positive track record of ballot proposals passing in New York, correct? Yes, that's right. They overwhelmingly pass, uh, sort of d- depending on the year, it goes up or down, but um, about uh, six out of ten times, 
voters say yes to these in New York, I should say. And that's according to Ballotpedia again. Um, so, you know, it depends if it's a um, an off year, meaning a, an odd numbered year, a non-presidential election versus a presidential election. You know, depending on turnout, it changes. But overwhelmingly, the majority of the time, um, voters just vote yes on, on these ballot proposals. And you mentioned the first ballot proposal, and later on in the show, we will have uh, a guest from the New York State Independent Redistricting Commission to walk us through a lot of the specifics on that. But generally, for our listeners, what's that first proposal about? Because you're right, it has several components to it. Yeah, it's um, it's complex. So it's basically um, making some new rules around the redistricting process, which will take place officially. It's already begun in some ways, um, but it, it'll take place next year, and that's to take those census numbers that we got from 2020 and redraw districts for state-level seats and congressional seats. Um, the, the Independent Redistricting Commission has to take that up, and then the legislature may have to take that up to actually hammer out those lines. And the ballot proposal, um, essentially, I'll try to break it down really simply, it tries to make the process of that a bit less uh, partisan um, and also... Um, to simplify some of the deadlines around that. Again, I'm going really top level here because there are a lot of different sections of it, um, but it's, uh, you know, state constitution changes to iron out some of the um, rules around redistricting, and this will affect the redistricting process that actually begins right at the beginning of the new year in 2022. So this is right around the corner, um, and voters get to weigh in on some of the process for that sort of wonky insidery process that is very important for how people are represented in state seats and congressional seats. I, I think that some of the calendar issues are probably a little bit more esoteric, although I know you can explain them, but there are some parts of the proposal that seem very straightforward, but maybe mm -hmm. the rationale for them is not quite as clear. So, for example, uh, limiting or capping the number of state senators to 63. Why would anybody mm -hmm. want to do that? Yeah, I mean, the folks who are in support of this say that it's, um, you know, a measure to avoid the type of changes we've seen in the past where one party gets in there and wants to create new seats to tip the scales in their favor, um, you know, to create new seats that favor, you know, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Um, so by capping it, it's sort of trying to do away with with that practice. I will say generally, um, you know, Republicans in the state are not in favor of this particular ballot proposal. They say that it, um, you know, keeps the minority party in New York state from having the power that they should, that it really um, takes power away from them and they don't feel comfortable with it and they're fighting it. Um, but that's the idea behind that particular issue there is just to cap it so that you can't um, create new districts just to sort of pad your majority or your party's um, uh, population. And then there's a, another part of the same proposal. This is still proposal number one. Uh, if you're just joining mm -hmm. us, we're talking about the uh, five major ballot proposals that will be on the ballot this November. We're speaking to Rachel Holiday-Smith of The City, who has been covering this and explaining it to us very helpfully. Um, I think another one of the uh, the tenets of this particular proposal is something that has split people along party lines or maybe along geographic lines, sort of an upstate-downstate yeah. divide. And that's the question of um, requiring 
that people who are incarcerated be counted uh, for the purpose of redistricting at the address where they lived before they went to prison, not where they are in prison. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so this is, you know, quite important because as you can imagine, a lot of um, the prisons upstate, if you count people where they are incarcerated, you know, that counts as a person in upstate counties, which have lower populations than New York City, certainly. And if you do it by the rule change that is in this ballot proposal, it would have people be counted likely, more likely in um, downstate counties, especially in the five boroughs where they lived before they were incarcerated. Um, And I should say that this um, rule or this change was already put um, forth for state-level seats, so redistricting around state-level seats already has this rule in place, but this would enshrine it in the Constitution, the state Constitution, to um, be enforced for congressional uh, seats. And yes, I mean, you know, for upstate, um, you know, usually Republican uh, representatives, they are not in favor of this, um, but advocates who are in favor of this call the practice of counting people in the counties where they're incarcerated as, you know, prison gerrymandering, that saying that this is not fair and that we should count people where they lived beforehand. Um, so, yeah, that is one, uh, you know, very interesting piece of a complicated ballot proposal all around how we draw lines and count people in redistricting. So, Rachel, the second proposal seems very straightforward. I, you know, and I would imagine, why would people oppose something like this? It's about the environment, but there has been some resistance for uh, on this proposal? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, this is a very straightforward-sounding proposal, but a little bit more complicated when you realize what it could do. So, I'll, I'll read it because it's very short. It's, it will change the state constitution to say, each person shall have a right to clean air and water and a healthful environment. So it sounds quite simple. It's very straightforward. Um, And environmental advocates say they want it to be that way. They want it to be a simple right that people have to clean air and water and a healthful environment. And the folks who push back on this um, are folks who, uh, you know, see this as a way for lawsuits to come down the line. They see this as too broad and too... Um, wide-ranging that would allow for people to sue for all types of things. Um, And they worry about, you know, lots of lawsuits clogging up the court system. Um, You know, one of the folks who we reported on, you know, opposing this was from the the petroleum industry, um, who may have reason to fear lawsuits, you know, in New York State around environmental issues. Um, And people who say, you know, we shouldn't be legislating things by lawsuits clogging the courts. Of course, on the other side of things, there are many environmental groups who have been pushing for this type of thing for years. Um, I should say that something similar is in the state constitution in Pennsylvania and has been used to um, fight fracking uh, issues there. Um, So we shall see. I mean, if the voters approve this, it will just go right into the constitution on January 1st. And, you know, we could see people going to the courts to say, Uh, You are violating my rights. I feel as though I do not have access to clean air, water, and a healthful environment. And um, the implications could be pretty immense for this one. 
And I know that we are going to be running out of time shortly, and, and I don't want to rush you, but I know the next two are also very important because this has been a big topic across the nation regarding voter rights and voter disenfranchisement. Can you just let mm-hmm. our listeners know a little about those next two? Yes. So three and four are very similar. One would give a green light for um, same-day voter registration in New York, something we've seen elsewhere in the country, and this would sort of clear the way constitutionally for New York um, to do that. And it would also clear the way for us to not have, not need an excuse to get an absentee ballot. So right now you sort of need to officially have an excuse, a, a reason to get an absentee, absentee ballot. But this would say, nope, you don't need any reason to have an absentee ballot, not for health reasons or anything else. You can just get an absentee ballot if you want one. Um, so that would, advocates are pushing for this, saying that, both of these measures would increase access to voting for people in New York State. And this has been a, a big deal. Obviously, we are. This is a subject that's very close to my heart: elections and um, election administration and, and voting rights. Uh, but this has been a big deal. People have been thinking a lot more about this during the pandemic, right? This kind of um, brings yeah. a new urgency to it. I think. Yeah, and if folks listening have been using absentee ballots. Um, you know, you've got to use the emergency uh, COVID excuse, which is that, you know, if you are exposed to COVID, you can get an absentee ballot. So it, it you know, expanded access because essentially everyone was uh, maybe going to be exposed to COVID. So basically anyone could get an absentee ballot. Um, but this would just get rid of any need for that and just say, you don't need an excuse anymore. You don't need a reason for that. You can just get an absentee ballot and do do mail, you know, mail-in uh, balloting, which is makes life much easier for lots of different populations: elderly folks, disabled folks, people who are busy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the idea behind ballot proposal three and four. Right, and you know, it's it's fair to mention that some states have uh, voting by mail in entirety, universally, or at least yes. they have it as an option to everyone. So this is not sort of completely groundbreaking. You know, New York a little bit behind the curve on this one in in some respects, especially regard to right. uh, 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 no excuse absentee voting. And then in the little time we have left, Rachel, um, just tell us a little bit about Prop Five. This has to do with uh, the claim limits at civil court and and uh, how lawsuits work. Yeah, this is a really specific one and just a specific one to the five boroughs. So this would change the limit for a claim from 25,000 to 50,000 in civil court. What that means is that right now, anything $25,000 or less, something you're suing over that's worth that much, um, can be heard. But this would boost that to 50,000. And advocates for this say that it would essentially um, clear some of the the docket in the Supreme Court, which now takes cases that are over 25,000 and move them to the civil court and make things a bit more streamlined um, for the court system in general. Um, I will say, interestingly, um, this exact question came up in 1995 and was voted down by voters um, very narrowly. Uh, I don't know why that is. I tried to do research on that and I, I don't know what happened there, but here we are with this question again. Um, the claim limit has not been lifted in civil court for many years. And, you know, the legislators who sponsored this proposal said it's time for us to, you know, lift that limit, um, allow for more cases to be heard, more types of cases to be heard in civil court and clear up, clear up some of the backlog in Supreme Court with this proposal. 
And Rachel, in the in the little time that we have left here, just wondering, aside from the very specifics, and by the way, Rachel Holiday Smith uh, of the city does have an excellent explainer online about uh, what the five ballot proposals mean for New Yorkers. And you can read a lot more about that. And I really encourage people to do that before before they are faced with the actual ballot, uh, whether voting in person or, or otherwise, because it does take some time to wade through things. I mean, you know, uh, Rachel, just wondering, you know, what is your advice for somebody who maybe has not uh, considered voting on a ballot proposal before or somebody who is not familiar with how to do it? you have any advice for, um, you know, people to make the process go any more smoothly? Yeah, I would just say, you know, try, definitely read up on it. Um Make sure you turn over your ballot or look on a second page because these ballot proposals, again, are sometimes not super obvious physically on the ballot. Um, but also, you know, just look at the groups that are advocating for and against these and look at that because there are experts who know a lot more about this than the average voter. And, you know, they have really compelling cases um, for and against these things. So just read in on it. Definitely do it before you vote. Um, leave time to understand it and but you should you should vote. I mean, try to weigh in on these because they are really important changes and they're in our state constitution and they're more or less permanent. So, you know, they in many ways are some of these proposals could be more, you know, important than, for example, you know, uh, voting for someone who's going to run away with a given um, election for a city council race or something like that. Of course, those are important, too, but. These are state changes that are going to have far-reaching consequences. So um, just read up, you know, look at what the advocates are saying, look at what the detractors are saying. Um, although I will say there's there's some conversation around these proposals, but I think they're flying under the radar a bit because they are not highly controversial or, you know, lightning rods like we've seen other proposals be. So I hope that people, uh, you know, just pay attention and, and vote. And if they would like to learn more and follow some of your coverage and find the story that Celeste just referenced, where should they go, Rachel? TheCity.NYC. That is our website, and you can find all of our election coverage at the top of the page under the election coverage tab. So um, TheCity.NYC is where all of our writing is. Rachel Holiday-Smith from The City, I'd like to thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI this afternoon. Thank you for having me. So, Celeste, I have to tell you, yeah. when I step in, in the past, when I have stepped into a voting booth and I was not well informed, I would have the tendency then, if I did not understand the language in proposals, to not vote on them at all. So it's interesting oh. to see that if things are have traditionally been confusing with a lot of these, that people then would tend to still pass them. They would still vote in favor. And, you know, I think this has actually been an issue in some cases. I don't know if it's been uh, as much in New York, but certainly in other states. I have a feel I'm, I'm getting a California feeling about this, that sometimes voting for a proposal means voting against the thing it's talking about. And the language can get super confusing, like vote yes if you think that people shouldn't be able to do this. 
uh, versus saying vote for this if you feel like it's okay to uh, allow people to continue doing a thing or not change something. And yeah, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of legal wrangling about the phrasing of these bills, and these are fully vetted by lawyers and you know in a bipartisan way, which means quibbling over um, you know potentially political or politically charged language. But uh, you know, I think that's important. Uh, all the more reason to review these things to know before you go, Jeff. And, and you're correct. And I believe, Celeste, that we have our next guest on who you and I have worked with for a number of years. Yeah, that's great. And I'm very happy to welcome uh, Betsy Gottbaum to the program. She is somebody uh, I think a lot of us know. She is uh, somebody who has uh, made a very notable, uh, had a very notable career with uh, with our city and with uh, public life in our city. She has uh, worked in an advisor to three mayors, executive director of the uh, New York City Police Foundation, commissioner of the Parks and Recreation Department, and president of the New York Historic. Society. I think I first met her when she was serving uh, one of her two terms as public advocate of New York City. Uh, and Betsy Gottbaum now comes to us as the executive director of Citizens Union, which has a lot to say about the ballot proposals that we are talking about today. So, Betsy Gottbaum, welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI. Hi, nice to, nice to talk to both of you. And uh, it, that long... Um Thing shows that I can't keep a job, right? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you're so good at so many things that everybody oh, wants please, a piece. Darling, please, Celeste. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hi. It's glad I'm glad to say hi. Hi, Jeff. How are you? <laughs> good to have you on the show today. Well, nice so, to be here, and um, I'm always glad to uh, try to make a little dent in something that's rather complicated. <laughs> Exactly, which is why we're we're happy to have you here to help people parse it out. So we thought maybe we would start with what seems like the most simple uh, of the ballot proposals that will be appearing before voters uh, on November 2nd. But it actually might be a lot more complicated. There's kind of a backstory. Um, the proposal simply suggests that uh, people vote on uh you know, creating a, a state constitutional right to clean air, clean water, and a healthful environment. So, uh, is that really as simple as it sounds? Well, let me let me. Can I just back up and say one thing that I say every time I go on any show or anything sure. at all? Besides sure. saying hi to the folks out there, whom um, the audience, whom I always love. Um, but one thing I really want to say: tell everybody and keep saying it. When you get your ballot on. Uh, November 2nd, turn it over because the ballot proposals are on the other side and a lot of people don't even know to do that. I mean, I'm not criticizing them. I'm saying they, they just don't get enough information. So people should turn their ballot over and there are five uh, ballot questions and I will talk to you about question number two, which is the right to clean air, clean water and healthful environment, um, which Citizens Union says suggests that people vote yes on that. Uh, I think it is, you know what, I think, I think it is relatively simple because I, 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 my feeling about it is that there's a wonderful example in the state of New York to, to give to everyone. And by the way, just let me say what that balance, the, the, the ballot question says. It would create a state constitutional right to clean air, clean water, and a healthful environment. And the proposed amendment would allow or lawsuits to secure and protect that right, excuse me, that right, not against individuals or, or, or people, but against the government. 
And one of the things that, that I say in this, in explaining this particular um, amendment or this particular proposal, if you remember that there was a, a story of upstate New York, I, I don't remember the name of the town, but it was on the Housatonic River. And one of the big companies was uh, unloading an enormous amount of horrible chemicals in the water. And the town wanted to stop that or wanted to get the get the state government to do something and they wouldn't and couldn't and didn't and it finally it took a long time but i think that they they were able to get something done after a lot of problems this this particular proposal would mean there would be no problems if the town on the housatonic river that was having all those horrible chemicals poured into the water would be able to sue the government to force them to do what they should have done in the first instance. So, so I use an example like that because I think that makes it clearer for people to understand. So uh, in terms of looking at that, and if you are just joining us, we are speaking to Betsy Gottbaum of Citizens Union about the ballot proposals that will appear in front of voters on November 2nd in New York. Uh, if you look at a, a proposal like that, uh, guaranteeing a right to uh, clean air, clean water, you think to yourself, okay, you know, who would vote against that? Well, just out of curiosity, who have you been experiencing or seeing opposition from on this issue? Who's who's saying that this is this is not something that New York voters should support? Yeah, we have heard, and I don't, I haven't seen this myself, but I've been told this that the business council, uh, this, some of the business groups are against it. Uh, I have not seen that myself. So, uh, yeah, right. Well. They don't want to be sued. I mean, ultimately, the state could force them um, by suing them. The state could force them by suing them to, to, to do what is right. And, I mean, there's no reason why a corporation should be allowed to dump toxic chemicals anywhere near any town, hamlet person in the state of New York. I mean, we all feel strongly about that. And I, I think that, that that's what this proposal does. And I imagine the the rationale for opposing it is not couched in well. We don't we believe in dirty water and dirty air. I think that the the, the argument we love dirty water. I think the, the argument would be more about uh, the the statement in the proposal is so general that it could be very open to to uh, judicial interpretation. Well, I think that is true, and apparently precedent on judicial interpretation. Um, is in favor of saying that this is not a problem along those lines, that the, that the courts will not take over and, 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 and run all this stuff that, that precedent-wise it's not. So we have a very uh, active environmental lawyer on our board who knows more about this than anybody in the whole world and has, has made presentations on it and basically has convinced everybody on our board that this is the right way to go, to vote yes on question two. So, Betsy, uh, I know we only have a few minutes left, and while uh, and I'd love to know, you know, of the five proposals, were there was there anyone or were there more than one that you opposed? Which, you know, which one did you, or more than one, did you oppose in this case? No, Citizens Union did oppose question number one, which is the making changes to the redistricting process in New York State. Um, and, and we and the, the uh, Citizens Union has advised or, or has said very, very strongly to vote, to vote against question number one. 
And the reason is that, the, that this amendment would allow the legislature to take over map drawing on January 1st if the dis- redistricting commission, which now exists, does not approve a plan by then. And the reason we are this good, that Citizens Union is against it because it invites the current commission not to make a decision and it clears the pathway for the legislature to reclaim influence over redistricting. Now, the question there is that the uh, legislature is controlled now by the Democrats. And one of the things that the good government groups have always said is they don't want one particular party in power to, uh, to determine redistricting. So that, that's why the Citizens Union decided to vote against this particular question. And uh, I know we've only got about two or so minutes left. One thing uh, I do want to bring up is I know that, for instance, in the primary, you issued uh, your uh, voter preferences. I won't say endorsements, but voter uh-huh. preferences of candidates. Uh, will you be announcing? Because not, that has not happened at this point. Will Should people Tomorrow look morning. out for any decision or any announcement by Citizens yes. Union about your voter yeah. preferences? We will have a there will be an announcement. I think it's being announced tomorrow morning, Friday morning. Um, and there are, we, we really only did in the council races the most competitive ones. And, uh, and then we have obviously for the citywides, we, we are making those recommendations and the recommendations on the ballot proposals. I think those came out last, I think they came out earlier this week. But the, the, the recommendations on who, on our suggestions on, on who's running for, who should be elected will come out tomorrow morning. Okay, great. We'll, we'll definitely be looking for that. And then I know Jeff has uh, warned us that we are running out of time. But uh, okay. just on a, on a final note, I, I'm really curious to know one thing that we spoke about at the very top of the program was the fact that only members of the legislature can actually put forth these ballot proposals. The average person cannot, uh, you know, just uh, had to ask somebody from an organization called Citizens Union. Do you ever see going ahead in uh, New York State political life uh, a time when uh, a regular person like you or me or Jeff could put forward uh, a ballot proposal that everybody else in New York would get to uh, see and think about and uh, make a decision about? Well, I think there are probably ways of doing that. Like if you have uh, inroads into the legislature and you know a legislator who would be amenable to what your ideas are, then I would definitely go after them and talk to them. And, and that's sort of what lobbyists do. You're, 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 you're right there. Um, but you could become your own personal lobbyist to someone who you felt would be uh, amenable to what you're proposing. So, yeah, why not? Betsy Gottbaum, if people want to learn more about Citizens Union's positions on these proposals and learn more about Citizens Union, where can they go? They can go to the uh, Citizens Union website, um, which is, oh, dear, I always forget it and, give the, and I give them the wrong one. Um, it's it's a citizens union. I think it's citizensunion.org. I'm sorry. I, I never do it myself. Um, don't worry because I often say .com and then correct myself and .org. Well, you are correct. Yeah, .org. I, was about to say .com. I think it's .org. You are correct. Betsy Gottbaum, thank you so much for joining Celeste and myself here on WBAI today. You're very today. welcome. Always a pleasure. So you've been listening to Driving Forces on WBAI, New York, 99.5 FM. And as always, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, today. 
And I am always happy to be here with you, Jeff. And we're speaking today about the five ballot proposals you will see in New York on General Election Day in November. And uh, I have a proposal right now. I'm just going to take a minute to remind you that uh, I propose that you uh, take a moment to support Free Speech Radio here in New York and uh, go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. Uh, This is a kind of radio program that's very, very different different than what you would get from commercial radio, uh, even, uh, you know, large scale like public broadcasting, uh, and certainly different than what you see in newspapers, uh, magazines, you know, we really concentrate on talking about the issues that are very, very close to people's hearts, but also really impact their lives in very specific ways. If you think about what we are getting on the program today, going through these individual ballot proposals that could change the, the access that people have to elections, Change the way that people are counted in redistricting in an apportionment, which makes a huge difference in representation and how much funding people get. Lots of different things, you know, really affects the balance of political power. If you care about uh, us being able to continue to bring you these conversations, please go to WBAI.org today and click Ways to Donate. And one of the things we've been talking about throughout this show is that first proposal, which has multiple parts of that. And you know, we didn't think we were going to do it justice with any one person except for someone from the New York State Independent Redistricting Commission who could walk us through this and explain this in greater detail. So joining us now is Karen Platt, who's the co-executive director of the State Independent Redistricting Commission. And just briefly about her, she's a native New Yorker, spent her entire career working in government and previously served as the co-executive director of the Legislative Task Force on Demographic Research and Reapportionment. And prior to joining that organization, she spent 15 years working for the city department Uh, the Department of City Planning, and uh, she's also got wonderful degrees from the Robert Wagner School of Service and, uh, yeah, master's degree and bachelor's of arts there. So with that, Karen Platt, welcome to Driving Forces. Hi, thank you for that great introduction. (laughs) Even though I stumble sometimes. So (laughs) at at the outset, I do want to make a point of stressing that you know, that when we invited you on, is it was to walk us through this and not to stress whether you support or oppose anything, but to explain it for our listeners. So can you walk us through what we should, I mean, this, this can be a little complicated when we look at the ballot and see all these things. And, you know, Rachel Holiday had worked, walked us through this, but I'd love for you to explain it uh, just, you know, and, and, and tell us then a little about the redistricting process as well. Sure. Um, The most important part of this referendum is probably the first part, that it moves the timeline up. And the reason is because when the constitutional amendment passed in 2014, no one thought that we would be moving the primary up to June. And so we're working with a tighter time frame, and that's why we need to change the timeline for submitting the maps to the legislature. So this way, the boards of election can find polling places and draw election districts and candidates know which districts to petition in. Um, Also, as Rachel mentioned, the state Senate would be fixed at 63 seats. And she very accurately stated that this is to avoid that 
uh, monkey business that happened 10 years ago when the number of seats um, was increased based on some formula that is not very transparent um, and also subject to interpretation. The third very important issue involves the reassignment of prisoners Um, incarcerated individuals to their previous home addresses, and this is for state legislative redistricting only. Now, as it happens, we already do this. Back in 2008, legislation was passed to require us to reassign the prisoners, but this referendum would include it in the Constitution so that it would end the debate in future years and you cannot, it becomes much harder to change in the future. Uh, Lastly, one very important provision is that it would remove the block on border rule. And block on border is a rule that requires map makers to include certain blocks around the perimeter of districts in order to equalize the population The problem is opponents say that it takes the discretion away from the mapmaker and forces them to include blocks into districts that don't belong there, either because the demographics are different or for whatever reason. It also sometimes results in districts that are less compact, and that is why sometimes you have jagged lines on districts. So that those are the most important provisions of the proposal. And we're talking to Karen Platt. She's a co-executive director of the New York State Independent Redistricting Commission here on Driving Forces on WBAI. And Karen, you know, for people, again, we try to reach out to everybody, including maybe people who have not yet voted uh, on a ballot proposal, maybe people who are going to have their first voting experience uh, coming of age or, or becoming a citizen uh, in November. Why should people care about redistricting? And this is this is something that you are an expert on. But why does it matter? Well, if representation matters to you, then redistricting should matter because this really determines who is going to be on the ballot, who you're going to be electing. Um, If you have a community of interest, if you share the same school as people in your community, if you have the same faith as people in your community, if that you share the same natural resources as people in your community. You should care about redistricting and advocate for how you want that district to be drawn. And one of the things that I'm really curious about is how fast-moving things would be if this if this passes. Can you talk about what happens if it passes versus if it fails? Right. Well, if the referendum passes then the commission would be required to submit plans to the legislature by January 1st. And currently, the date is January 15th if it does not pass. Now, the draft maps are out. They're on our website. It's www.nyirc.gov, and there's an interactive map, so the public can examine it very carefully. And 
we're going to start a public hearing tour around the state, all the way from Buffalo down to Suffolk County, and we are encouraging the public to come out and testify at these public hearings and tell us what you like or do not like about the draft plan, because once the hearings are over, the commissioners are going back to the drawing board and they're taking all the information that they heard at these public hearings and all of the submissions that were on our website, and they're going to redraw the boundaries based on public testimony. So once they redraw those boundaries, they're submitted to the legislature for a vote. And the legislature does not have to accept them, obviously. They can vote down and they Correct. can go go another route. What happens what happens if, if that's the case, if the legislature does not approve? Um well they can in theory draw their own lines. Um it's a little early to see what's gonna happen. This is the first time this is happening. We're hopeful that we can come up with a plan that the legislature can pass. And obviously there are, are a bunch of factors here, but you know, what are sort of your top line, most important things that you keep in mind when you are making your proposals? What, what should a district look like? Well, the only data that the commissioners have used so far is census data and information from public testimony from the public listening tour that they had a couple of months ago. So, so far, that's all the data that has been used. And what what kinds of uh, testimony do you hear when people come to you with their recommendations or their concerns or their complaints? What kinds of things are people talking about when it comes to redistricting? Well, some of the things we hear about is that their communities are cut in half, and so communities are unable to elect the representative of their choice. Some other complaints we hear is that um, their community is packed in and there are too many um, people of a certain community. And so that's called packing when um, you can remove some people and make two districts that can elect two representatives. Um, some complaints we hear are that, you know, their um, the school that they send their children to are in a neighboring district, and so they can't get the attention of the representative of that district because they don't live there. And that's a very good point. I know we've only got about a minute left, Karen. I really, I know you gave the website earlier, but I'd love for you to give it again because I think it's worth people going to the website to look at those maps as well. It, before even you go to a hearing, it's good to see what, you know, what the vision is. Remind our listeners where they should go if they'd like to learn more about this. It's www.nyirc.gov. Karen Platt, I'd like to thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI this afternoon. Thank you. The pleasure was mine.
So you've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI. I'm hoping you're making WBAI a part of your entire day because we've got such wonderful programming. And we're hoping you enjoy this show every Thursday because we want to make this as informative as possible. And, you know, while Celeste and I are often bringing on the candidates uh, who are running for office, we thought it would be worth going into these proposals as well to help you a little before you pick up if you have uh, if you're going by absentee or if you're going to early vote or if you're going to vote on November 2nd, just that you have that information at your disposal. Yeah, I mean, things change all the time in terms of politics, in terms of what candidate you might like, or this candidate might be in for a while, or somebody might run for one term and and disappear and that sort of thing. And that's all fine. That's all part of our political process. But a change to the state constitution, which is what we are talking about with these ballot proposals, is something that can last for generations. And it really is worth taking just a little time, and you're doing that right now by listening to this program here on WBAI, taking a little time to consider what these changes mean to you, to your neighbors, to your family, to your kids, uh, you know, to the people around you, and and to really give them some thought and to make your voice heard. This is always an opportunity to make your voice heard in equality with everybody else in the state, and uh, we recommend that you do it. We don't say what you should vote, we just say that you should. And I've decided this time, I, I've done all three. I've done by absentee, and by the way, I, I you know, I'm so glad that we were walked through uh, that proposal because of the, what is it, the no excuse or the, you know, you have an excuse uh, why you cannot get to the polls on that day. And during COVID, a lot of us struggled at first. How do we fill this out if we're not comfortable going to a voting booth? But uh, I found this really informative today, and I hope you did too. And if you did, and if WBAI means something to you, I, I want to squeeze this in as quickly as possible because I know we we say this every week, but it's important to us. Celeste and I are volunteers. We give our blood, sweat, and tears to make this show happen for you every week. And most of the people at WBAI are volunteers like us. And we do not rely on corporate donations at all. We're not taking donations from Apple or Google or Pepsi. We're taking them from you because you're the ones who keep us on the air. So if you've got a few moments, you could do it while you're listening to Paul DiRienzo right after this show while he's giving you the news. Just while you're listening to that, give us a call or go online and, and donate. Just anything that you can will help. Let me give you that number of 212-209-2950. Once again, that's 212-209-2950. But you can also donate on the website, too, at WBAI.org. Right, Celeste? Absolutely. And you have choices about how you make your donation. You can make a one-time donation, which we very much appreciate. Uh, I think a donation of $25 or more will make you a member of this station with lots of access to perks uh, and ways to participate in the decisions that go on with this uh, programming. Uh, you can also do the the really appreciated thing and become a BAI buddy, which means that you set up a recurring monthly donation. Only takes a few minutes to set up. You can choose your level of of support. Uh, donations to WBAI, of course, are tax deductible. You can write off your support for free speech radio. It is hard to imagine a better deal than that. So once again, 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950, or just go to WBAI.org. 
So we're going to be off next Thursday, but please make sure to stay tuned to WBAI. But I want you to tune in this Sunday at 10 in the morning because City Watch is on and my co-host David Brand is going to be talking with New York Times investigative reporter Jan Ransom about her coverage this week of the crisis on Rikers Island. That was an amazing piece. You need to read it. You need to hear um, hear from her as well. He's also going to talk with uh, Habitat for Humanity's Chief Strategy Officer, Matt Dunbar. They're going to discuss affordable home ownership in the city. And then David's the sports guy. He's going to bring you New York City soccer historian, Dr. David Kilpatrick. He'll weigh in on New York and New Jersey, uh, the many ties that both of these states have to the U.S. national team as they try to seal a spot in the 2022 World Cup. So with that, Celeste and I thank you so much for tuning in today to WBAI's Driving Forces, but do not go away. Stay with us because the news is coming up next, and we will see you on the radio next time.